We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs Podcast, the BearCast, where we run you through all the Cal football news you need to know. And this one's a late one. We're how many days late, Andy? A day. A day? Or maybe <laughs> two, day, days? two days. Two days. Because we usually record on Monday. This is late. We're right on time. Oh, boy. Yeah, this was, um, this was not something we wanted to talk about. Uh, but... We have to, and so we're here. And uh, I'm Rob, one of your hosts. Alongside me is Andy, one of the co-hosts, who I believe just sounded like he was putting on a sweater or something. He was zipping something up. Oh, no. <laughs> Didn't realize that you could hear that. <laughs> but that's all there. How are you doing, bud? Good, good, good. I know Very... you spent you spent the week you spent the weekend away, as far away from Berkeley as possible, quite frankly. Man, yeah. Dude, poor East Coasters. This, these late start times. I mean, they're tough on the West Coast. Holy goodness, they are tough on the East Coast. I mean, eleven o'clock start, and then it's like you know pushing one forty-five, and the product on the field didn't help. So it was just, uh, it was one of those things. Like you actually are much more forced to contend. Like, do I? Would I rather sleep? And I think for a lot of people, they chose sleep. Uh, and I was one of those people. I mean, in the fourth quarter, I was like, there's no reason for me to stay up and watch this. Um, and I, you know, it's just not, you know, if I was on the West Coast, I'd probably finish it. But there's just no reason, that, you know, at that point to continue watching the game. Yeah, there was no reason to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enough about that. We'll just get right into it. Um, I feel like this is going to be one of our shorter podcasts, but. Um well, we're going to do some Stanford smack talk, shit talking, yeah. good old get ready for the battle. I can't wait. Well, let's get right into the SC game. Uh, it's the final game of the home, final home game of the year, senior night, Joe Roth Memorial game, and Jared Goff bobblehead day. You knew that was a recipe for disaster. I don't know why we didn't see this coming. We saw it, it's like four different like big holiday quote unquote days for Cal football and Oh, God, it just compiled onto one another. But here we go. Um, the Bears uh, face off against the Trojans, 8 p.m. kickoff, pretty dang late. Uh, the Bears lose 17-41. to 41. 
the Bears actually had more first downs than the Trojans, 21 to 18, which, of course, isn't the entirety of the story. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Offensive yards, SC 462, the Bears 263. Um, but total offensive plays-wise, SC 62, Cal 61. Um, in terms of passing, Chase Garbers did start this game, uh, coming back from, I believe, a six-game hiatus. Our five-game hiatus, five-game hiatus, um, and he's back through four of ten before it getting injured again and uh, being subbed out for Devon Monster, who finished the night 11 of 22 with two interceptions and 95 yards. Chase Garbers, by the way, four of ten for 33 yards before he was out of the game. Uh, Keen Slovis for the other side, 29 of 35, uh, 406 yards, four touchdowns with a long of 50 and no interceptions. Uh, in terms of rushing, Deshaun Collins led the Bears with 15 uh, rushing uh, attempts with, for 103 yards and two total touchdowns. Uh, for SC, Keenan Kristen got most of the carries with nine for 48 yards. In terms of receiving, the Bears had only one player eclipse 50 yards. That was Jordan Duncan with five catches for 53 yards. On the other side, Michael Pittman, 11 catches for 180 yards and one touchdown drake london six catches for 111 yards and one touchdown as well uh defensively the bears of course led again by evan weaver 14 total tackles eight solos six assisted 0.5 tackles for a loss and then of course led right behind with his running mate coin dang 11 tackles uh seven assisted four solo half a sack and two tackles for loss and that was pretty much it andy your initial thoughts from what you witnessed. I uh, believe it was, what, an 11 p.m. start for you on the East Coast? Yeah. 11 p.m. start for me, post-wedding. Um, pretty interesting circumstances. Uh, went into it bold and full of life, and I exited weak and uh, ready to cra- crawl into a hole. <laughs> um, yeah, so that... It was just so odd, you know? We had all this... I We had the world's most dangerous thing, which was hope going into that game. And uh, and then we... You know, you and I talked about this. I think we thought that we would be able to kind of handle the air raid. Uh, and USC did what USC always does, which is uh, seemingly, you know, except for last year, where they have that superior athleticism and they kind of lean into it in a way that we just sort of always go back home feeling like, why can't we get these same level of athletes? But I actually think, you know, uh, that this could have been better schemed against, but could have been better coached against. Uh, we just sort of got exposed in a lot of the same ways we've been getting exposed all year. We had third downs that we didn't convert on uh, in regard defensively in regards to getting them off the field. I thought the play before the end of the half to Pittman on whatever third and long, uh, it was devastating like that was backbreaker and i know you texted me at halftime and said i think we're in this and we just got to get the 50 50 balls and i think i said something back like yeah maybe (laughs) um so yeah i I just think like that uh we had the you know the same issue covering kind of what i would call the intermediate part of the field um and you couldn't get consistent pressure without having to send a ton of guys on slovis and you know the second we drop seven back into coverage He'd beat us getting you know outside of the pocket or you know just throwing a, a ball up in the air and, and just our DBs getting beat. So um, yeah, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts, Rob. It was pretty devastating on the East Coast. I think what I texted you at halftime, I think 
would have changed the the premise of the game if it came down to it. The only issue with it was that my thought was, all right, they can't keep hitting these 45, 50 yard like bombs that are actually covered by our guys. Like there were so many where Cam or Jalen is is on the guy. But yet, he comes down with an incredible catch. And the ball placement from Keen Slovis was absolutely impeccable as well. So, you combine all those factors. And it's it's like watching a basketball game, right? And you see a guy who's a bench role player. And he just starts lighting up your team from beyond the arc. Just starts nailing three after three after three. And at halftime, basically, you're looking at the stat line going, okay, he's going to regress to the mean, right? But he didn't. And instead, he decides to, to fire off, you know, eight more threes and knock down six of them. Like, that's that's pretty much how this happened. Is we I, at least for myself, I kind of expected Keaton Slovis to maybe, you know, start losing a few of those, not putting the ball exactly where it needs to be put. And maybe our DB is just getting a hand in there and getting away with maybe a tug here or two. Uh, but, I mean, I, you know, so after the game, um, I was talking to Nam and Avi about this. And, and basically, you know... It, None of us were upset with how the game went in terms of the play calling. Um, it purely came down to execution and physical traits. And we just didn't have a DB out there that was able to match a guy like Michael Pittman one-on-one and come up with those battles. And it was just, I mean, just easily, bluntly put, it was just a talent deficiency or a physical attribute deficiency. And... So that I mean, we lost that battle square and fair, and um, there was nothing to do. And you know, there were times where we got Keen Slovis out of the puck. I mean, we got to give credit to the takers for doing what they were told to do. We dropped most everyone into coverage, which we kind of did against Washington State as well. The only issue was Washington State's quarterback wouldn't put the ball exactly where it needed to go, nor could he buy some time and then get his wide receivers the ball. Keen Slovis did exactly that. He would run out of the pocket, stay behind the line of scrimmage, draw the linebacker, and then just throw a ball, perfect ball right over the top of him, and that would go for eight yards because everyone else is deeper in the coverage trying to keep all the plays in front of them. And that happened time after time. So the the takers did what they were supposed to do. But at the same time, like if the, we've been talking about this all year, right? If people are asking why aren't the takers as good as they are, it's because they're doing their job. It's just if the pass rush isn't getting to the quarterback within five seconds of the snap, then the quarterback, it, it becomes a scramble drill. And in a scramble drill, the defense is very, 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 um, what's it? What's the word here? Um, at a disadvantage because um, you're you're trying to recover instead of anticipate. So, Sure. I don't know. I I think it may be a tad generous to say that the takers did what they were supposed to do in this instance. I think on the season as a whole, I agree with you. I think in this game, you know, uh, there were several plays that I think, you know, Elijah would want back and feel like that they could have made. And I also feel like we were, in a way, like actually out-schemed um, and... In, it, it, I just have issues with saying it was just on athleticism. It's not that I disagree with it. I think that plays a role in it. But you wouldn't have last year's results. You know, it's like they had as many athletes last year. Um, and, yeah, it's like a totally different game. But I, I just don't know if, like, this year it was the athleticism that was the difference as much as it was, like, we have clear deficiencies that, are, like, 
tend to play themselves out against certain types of teams. And so what I mean by this is like Washington State, we had really fast recognition on almost every single play that they were going to run. And when it came to USC, I felt like we were a little bit more delayed. We had a little bit less idea about what they were trying to do. And then, you know, I have to give Slovis credit. Like when he would get, he's super elusive in the pocket. So we would get him moving or we would put pressure. And he's just kind of able to extend that play in a way that for sure uh, Gordon wasn't. So, but I, I do really think that we actually just also got out schemed. I thought that USC had some really brilliant play design. Um, and then ultimately, you know, they they clearly saw that they could take advantage of our DBs over top. Like, that was it. Like, you know, someone's telling Slovis, like, if you get out of the pocket, like, throw the ball up there on a 50-50 shot. Like, that's not just something that you would ordinarily tell a quarterback to do. It's not like, you know, just go toss it out there, Brett Favre, and see how it works out. You know, so I, I think – yeah, we got our coach, man. I think like there's reason to believe that GA had has some work to do and like go back to the tape and uh, you know DeRoyter and the whole defensive staff has to look at this game and sort of be like, what happened? Because uh, I don't think just pointing to athletes and you know I think it's I mean and I know you guys are saying it from the perspective of it's a component, but uh, I'm just sort of pushing back a little bit against that being what I would say would be the core reason why we lost this game. Well, I think for me, the the bigger issue is is I mean, let's be totally frank here. Over the last three years with Wilcox and this staff, the the type of player that's burned us the most in terms of in the passing game is bigger, like you know, wider framed wide receivers, right? Um, that are either super fast or just super just catch radius is ginormous. Like, look at the Stanford game from last year. Like, you look at JJ Arcega Whiteside. 6'2", 225. You look at Colby Parkinson, who's listed at 6'7", 251. Um, those are the type of guys that our DBs just weren't able to handle because they just don't have the size. You know, I mean, um, and then you look at the two guys that burned us the most, which is Michael Pittman, who's 6'4", 220, and uh, Drake London, who's 6'5", 205. And yeah. so... Uh, that's the recipe for disaster. And the Nam put it the best, or was it Nam or Avi? Well, no, one of them put it the best. Where when you look at Washington State's air raid, right? Let's say they go four wide. How many of those wide receivers do you think are like five star, four star slash NFL caliber wide receivers? Like in mm. your in your eyes, just from just from a, a like a just it doesn't if. I'd the say test. there's at least two. There's at least two, right? That's yeah. I'd, I'd say there's at least two as well. But then you look at the SC wide receivers, right? And you look at the you look at the four they put out. I'm thinking there's, I'm thinking all four, are NFL caliber wide receivers. So at some point, if you're running an air raid offense like this, some guy is bound to get open because of just how like athletically gifted they are, and there were certain plays where. We just couldn't match that lesson, and I totally understand your point. I totally get. I totally understand it, and I'm I'm 100 behind it as well. This could be just a factor, but that's for me. This was the biggest factor, and one of the ones that was just eye opening um, in terms of just looking at the watching the game and just being like, wow, like there's just nothing we could do against that dude who's just he's just jumping higher. Catching the ball, high pointing it like it's just faster, it's better out of the, like there was just nothing we could do about it, and so I mean at least defensively, offensively it's a 
that's a whole nother <laughs> oh my goodness that's a whole nother book um i don't think tolkien could write a trilogy that could cover everything that we needed to talk about with the the offense but going um, there huh yeah lord of the rings jokes oh yeah it's time it's time <laughs> it's needed it's so needed um but yeah, uh, I guess we should move on to the other side of the. You know, you know. Here's the thing. You know, number fifteen, who is Drake London, right? Who's one of the wide receivers for SC. Yeah. He was, I believe, a four-star wide receiver coming out of high school. He is also playing basketball for the SC Trojans. He was, I believe, a four-star guard. Goodness. So he's playing both sports. So you can just you just know how monstrous athletic that kid is. Just yeah. Just born with it. Man. Oh, so let me ask you a question, Rob. Go for it. So this is my, I know we have our like question segment, but this is my question to you. Let's go to the Tattersall hit. Yep. For, uh, is there any point to having kickoffs? No. Zero. Zero point to having kickoffs. If That's you're, what it, I feel. Yeah. Zero. Absolutely zero. I think the only time you should be able to kick it off is if you want to go for an onside. Yep. I think that's the only time you should be allowed to kick it. Because that's, re- seen... that's reasonable, right? Like, you never see, like, horrendous injuries like this on onside kicks. It's just when you have a full kickoff and a guy's running, you know, 35, 40 yards downfield at full speed and then just trying to blow up the blocker, like, that's pretty much what happens here. Yeah, there's so many instances, I feel like, where people just get blindsided on kickoffs. And, yeah, you'll see it on punts a little bit, but it's just so much more infrequent. I just sort of found myself, one, I was like, man, you, like, watch something like that, and it makes you question the entire existence of college football, at least for me. I was like, you know, is this really worth it uh, yeah. to see someone get hurt like that who's just a student? Um yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a little, a little extreme, but like it's my initial, yeah. you know, you're just, it's just tough. And then on top of it, you're like, okay, like what? You now Cal doesn't even take kickoffs out. The announcers are like, oh, they should return the kicks more. I'm like, dude, the ball goes to the 25. Like, I don't really see the logic for taking the ball out that often. And they're saying, oh, SC's a special team unit is vulnerable. I was like, I mean, also our special teams unit wasn't really doing anything all year. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just sort of felt like, you know, outside of the fact that it was a missed targeting call, outside of the fact that, in my opinion, it was particularly a dirty play based on how the defender or the blocker kind of loaded up and then sprung directly into Tattersall, and then it was a blind hit, and yeah, he used some of his arms, but still it was like, I mean, I just think it came in on a play that, you know, I hope in five years isn't even a part of college football anymore. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is, man, all our, everything goes out to, to Tattersall. I mean, uh, Wilcox did say he's been discharged from the hospital, which is a very, very good sign. Um, and that, you know, he had, we were notified immediately in the press box, like once he got to the hospital and they did all their checks, you know, that he had feeling in his extremities and he was alert. So thank God, I think it was more of just like a initial shocker to the, to the kid and he just like you know went lights out but then thankfully he's recovered like he's he's getting over i highly doubt we'll see him for the rest of the season um there's just no need to and um yeah i just hope he recovers fully i mean that 
that hit in 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 and of itself as a discussion. Um, I think everyone's talked about on Twitter enough. I got some flack for it because I had another opinion on the hit more so than the like the emotional just side of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you guys want to, if you if you're listening to this and you want to read up on it, just go to my Twitter feed. And I'm sure you can find it on my on my page. Uh, but yeah, everything that we can possibly do um, and say is for our Evan Tattersall and the family and. You know, going off of that, I think th- that's the one aspect of this that we haven't talked about is how much of that and that delay and watching your teammate, you know, being motionless on on the football field and then yet carted off. Like how much of that plays an effect in how much like you're in the game as well, right? Like we've seen this time and time again in professional sports and college sports, the Olympics, like whatever you can think of. When you see a teammate go down, usually the other teammates react in one of two ways, right? It, it ends up being the extreme cases. You never kind of see the middle. It's either you see a total deflation and, you know, just, I don't want to say a lack of concentration, but your your mind is not on the task at hand. Like, there, there are bigger issues that you need to be considering. Uh, but then on the other side, there's times where teams just, like, get galvanized and they're like, we got to do it for him or her. Um, like we're winning it for him or her um but it just seemed like for this particular instance like the type of hit it was the 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 severity of the injury just i think it took a lot like emotionally and and mentally out of the guys um and i don't want to say that's a huge part but we can't like totally disregard that that might not have been somewhat of a factor as well but i want to think i wanted your thoughts on that yeah um yeah, I don't know. This is, this is all. I think everything you said was a really good point. Um, <laughs> ultimately, yeah, I'd say uh, as far as Tattersall goes, all the best wishes in the world to him and his family and all that. I have a really hard time disassociating uh, the sort of like the hit itself to like not thinking that there's going to be some sort of like long term impl- implication from it. Um, and then when you look at, you know, in my in history, the ones that come to mind on like these types of hits, like Tattersall comes to mind, Trevor Davis comes to mind, and then uh, the one where it really came to mind, I mean, for my own personal experience, was when I was on the 15-yard line and I watched Javid Best go up in the air and, and land super awkwardly. And and uh, and ultimately, you know, there was a, a, a rallying cry and speech that happened. Um, but, I mean every single person on the sideline was gutted, gutted when Javid went down. And it just, it just was never there. Um, and it was just exactly as you said. It was as polar as polar can be. I mean, we just went totally into the deflated. Um, and I think, yeah, like sometimes you can have that rallying call and, you know, people rally around the injury. And we might have even won the game that Trevor Davis went down in. I can't quite remember. Um, but... Uh, for the most part, I've kind of seen it be more deflating. Um, it's just, it's just hard. I mean, if we're feeling that type of way, the odds are that you like somebody else. You know, maybe the players are feeling that type of way, or you know, they're feeling something. You know, because every, everyone's human at the end of the day, and nobody is, nobody's life should be forever altered in a horribly negative way from playing something like college football. Um, and, and you know those are the types of hits that can have those long-term impacts. So yeah, I, I 
hope that makes sense. But I sort of feel like in my brief experience, I've seen it be more of like the deflating moment than the, you know, rallying cry. Although I know that that, that can exist. Um, I imagine, you know, Alabama fans are feeling pretty down about yeah. where they're at right now, even after a win. Um, yep. Yeah, but who can satisfy that fan base? Like that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a totally different, like... <laughs> Um, but you whatever Alabama, you got enough good things going. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we close out, SC, I wanted to give you some interesting notes from the game. So, the Bears actually started off with a touchdown on their first drive. It's the fourth time this season that they've scored on their opening drive. So, what a drive that was, too! What a drive with by Chase Garbers. Um, and I think it's clear cut that Chase Garbers is the better quarterback, like or the best quarterback that is currently on the roster. And without him, the offense kind of just crumbles a bit, uh, which we kind of witnessed. Uh, some other notes here. Deshaun Collins scored his first career touchdown on a five-yard run in the first quarter. At his second touchdown in the fourth quarter on a 34-yard run, which was pretty much in garbage time by that point. Um, he had his first career 100-yard performance and Cal's second 100-yard rushing performance this season after Chris uh, Brown Jr. had 197 against UC Davis. Isn't that crazy? Remember after yeah. the Davis game, we were like, holy crap, like Chris Brown, like the offense, like run game is going to be real good. And then we haven't had a single 100-yard rushing game since. Yeah, no, I, I sort of felt when I saw Collins eclipse the 100-yard mark, I was like, I don't think that's happened in a long time. Yeah. Um, and then with 14 total tackles, uh, Evan Weaver has 151 on the season, which ranks fourth in school single season history. Weaver now owns two of the top four spots on that list. Weaver has posted double-digit tackles in 16 of the last 17 games. And then also Evan Tattersall, who was injured, uh, that's the note, is that he's alert, movement in extremities, is take, and was taken to the hospital as a precautionary measure. And then also, you know what the crazy part is? The attendance was great. Attendance was at 46,000, which all in all, pretty good for an 8 p.m. game. So, I was going to say, I feel like I like actually called that on the last podcast. <laughs> where, where I like shouted out 46k as the uh, attendance. I'm not positive. I won't go back and re-listen for it. But <laughs> I'm just gonna say right here, right now. I think I did call that number. I think you did mention a prediction of the the attendance, and I think it was somewhere right around there, <laughs> which is yeah. quite impressive. It looked good on TV. Yeah, that's um, great. It was. It was. Uh, it was. I mean, usually over the last few years, it's been a lot more SC fans than it has been Cal fans. Uh, but today or that night it was definitely definitely Cal fans and then by the time the score went to I believe like 24-10 or 27-10 yeah 27-10 is basically when everyone started to leave so Hmm. yeah that makes sense all right well let me give you my last uh, you know kind of a couple of talking points that I had Uh, Collins was one of them I know I tweeted out saying that I think he could be the next great Cal running back, and Rob was quick to denounce me on that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, he looks—he shows way better than Dancy. Um, he's definitely he just, a better like all-around back. You know what I mean? Like he's not just a passing down back. He's a guy you can hand off and can bounce it outside, can go up the middle. Like he—he runs—he runs fierce. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I—I I love his running style. That's for sure. His really good vision. He makes the right cut. He makes the right like re behind the line, um, and he avoid does an amazing job of avoiding what I would call negative or no gain plays. 
and I don't know how he is in pass protection as, as well, but I just sort of felt like it's kind of a clear pecking order that Collins has you kind of usurped uh, Dancy on the depth chart. So I'm excited. I think he could have a potential big game against like a UCLA um, or even somebody like Stanford. So, uh, you know, we need that in order to kind of win the game this weekend. Yeah, and then, uh, with, well, especially with Chris Brown Jr. and the Trace Garbers, just their status for the game up in the air as well. So, yeah, um, officially out with. Are we allowed to say what it is? I actually don't think anyone knows what it actually is. Oh, yeah, really? So, yeah, I mean, Bo Baldwin today, I think, or yesterday in his press game post game conference, kind of said like, "Oh, they're week to week, or they're day to day." Um, and the wording of it kind of made it sound like it was a concussion, um, but they didn't actually say what it was. I think we're just all kind of inferring that that's like what it was, uh, and maybe that is the case. I'm not too sure, uh, but at the very least, we know that, like Chase Garbers didn't have a sling on; he just had a like a towel wrapped around his head like the entire rest of the way. And then I don't think we ever saw Chris Brown on the sidelines for the rest of the game. Um, don't quote me on that, but I didn't. I don't remember seeing him at all. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of aligns up. Um, if if Chase hadn't re-injured a shoulder, I think you would have seen him in a sling. Yeah. But you didn't see him in a sling at all. He had his hands were he was fine. He was he was warming up with the other quarterbacks, like throwing the ball around too. Just he didn't have his helmet. So, I thought Chris Brown looked like I, I think they did show him on the sideline. Um, in the second half. And then, uh, yeah, it looked kind of like a concussion. I'm just surprised. Like, back in the day, remember when players would get concussed? Like, Chris Brown's kind of obvious, right? This big hit. Yeah. I, you could even see Chase Garbers jump away from that hit because it was so loud. Yeah. Like, I've never seen anything like that. And then, uh, but remember they used to wear sunglasses to pr- protect the eyes from the light? Yep. Like, um I don't know, his game was at night, but I always thought that the big, bright lights shining down in the stadium would uh, you know, not be good for players. But anyways, back to my final point about the SC game. I feel like there was a clear sequence in this game. It was the SC's final drive of the first half, where every single time we got pressure on Slovis, we actually shut him down. I mean, they got into our territory, and then we were just sending blitz after blitz after blitz, right? And then we get them, and there was a, a clear false start that pushed SC back. And then we took off the pressure. We dropped seven, and what ended up, what ended up happening was they scored the touchdown on that very play, right? They threw it, threw it deep. Elijah gets beat on a double move because we didn't get enough pressure on Slovis. And then uh, Elijah slips, and, you know, boom. That, to me was like in a microcosm the issue I had with this football game. And then in the second half, things just kind of got out of hand. But the first half, it was a competitive football game. And to me, like getting that pressure on the quarterback when we were doing those blitzes was working extraordinarily well. But it was when we would try to drop back and play in coverage, it just sort of felt like, you know, he would, he would be able to pick us apart. And uh, it, was t- it was tough to watch. I still miss my boy Alex Funches a lot, a lot. I think he's, uh, we're really missing you know, Chris Palmer and, and, and some guys on the D-line that, that make it easier for us to get that pressure without having to send all those guys. Yeah, I think the last talking point for me is um, we found out this week, I believe, that Luke Beckett, Ziande, 
and Josh Drayden are looking to stay for an extra year. Uh, Drayden, they, they're just purely just they're redshirting him, so he will be back next year. The other two guys, they're looking to, to get a sixth year of eligibility because they had seasons in the past where they were out injured. And I I think I think the staff wouldn't bring it up unless they had, you know, some sort of optimism that it was it could work. So if they bring them back, you know, for next year, like that's that's huge in my opinion, uh, especially shoring up that defensive line with some of the younger guys that we have coming in, especially at nose, which means we can move Beckett back to his natural position, maybe outside. I think I, I think I was, I was talking to Nam about it, and Nam was like, "Yeah, that's if he if they're able to come back, that's probably plus one in the win column, like one yeah. at least one win will be swung because we have that depth there." I think that's that pretty much holds true. I put the line probably at one point five, but yeah, those that was the other big big uh, line of news that came out of um, what's it came out of the game week. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it for the SC game. I think it's we got plenty of questions, so I think we should just roll onto that. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. Uh, first one. All right, we got from Mario on Twitter. What was going on with the blown coverages deep? Does Monster go through any progressions at all? Seems like he already knows where he wants to go, whether the receiver is open or not. Dude, I don't know, man. I'm not even here for any of the Monster hate. I don't get it. <laughs> I think he does a good job. And uh, I I don't know. I've just been on this. I've been writing this for a long time. I'm just being like, Monster is fine. It's not a monster thing. I think he overthrows. Like, the big thing with him is his overthrows. He was hitting his short throws, which we're not used to seeing. And he put balls. I mean, it should have been a touchdown, man. Nico should have caught that ball. It was right in his hands. It was a beautiful throw yeah. that he made on that play. It didn't help this game. And that's one thing we didn't talk about is all the drop passes from this game that could have resulted in some, some like, extended drives and a couple of touchdowns, too. Like, oh, my goodness. Drop balls, man. Drop balls. Uh, but I think he does go through his progressions. But once he, the thing with Monster is once he locks in through his progressions, he goes to that guy no matter what. Uh, there are times where you're gonna go through your progressions, and then you think a guy's open, and right as you're about to throw, or like as you're you know stepping into it, like you see a defender slide into your lane, and you have to be able to to adjust and and throw somewhere else. But I don't. I think he sometimes just locks in, and that's where he's throwing to. It's not a thing that. He's like, all right, I'm throwing to Kikoa on the outside no matter what. It's more of a, all right, Nico wasn't open there. Okay, here's Kikoa open, and he, he's, like, about to throw. He sees a defender. He's like, I'm still going to throw it at Kikoa. I think he can come down with it, and he just, like, either airmails it because he's trying to, like, get it high, or he throws it too low, or, or you know. Uh, the two interceptions, too, that he caused, like, one was it was on a rollout, and he hit the defensive lineman who jumped up right into the path of the pass, and it got tipped, and then that was intercepted. And then the other one was he threw it a little high for Tonjes, but Tonjes got his hands on it, and then it tipped behind him into the safety's hands. So, like, I, I don't, I can't blame him for the second one because you know you gotta, if you're, you gotta catch that. Uh, but the sec, the first one, he's definitely gotta put that ball better and, and understand that there's probably a defensive lineman underneath on that rollout um, and can't throw that into the flat. But. Yeah, I agree. I think that one was uh, on him, and I think the second one, man, we just we have got to catch balls, man. Yeah. Is yeah. All right, next one's from uh, James Lynn on Twitter. If both Helton and Baldwin are fired at the end, at season's end, should we look at hiring Graham Harrell 
or is the USC office simply a product of superb talent? Well, that's actually that's actually an interesting question, just because we've been talking about it. Uh, but I want your thoughts. Uh, yes, I just <laughs> don't think there's a way that he would. I think he'd be a really sought-after commodity. I wouldn't even be surprised if there were some rumors about him actually getting the job at SC after you know they're obviously paying for missing on Orgeron. Um, you think they would do that again? I mean, that's the thing with with Helton, right? Is like they kept on the the guy that was on the previous staff. You don't think they would just like let's not do this again? Let's just go like a totally like brand new route. Yeah. So. Potentially, um, I, I I just think it's an option. I think he's going to get too many looks for it to be an option for us. And I actually thought the question was going to go here to start, which is hilarious. But I think that uh, I would be a fan of hiring Clay Hilton as our offensive coordinator if he was let go by SC. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my but, God. But I've been riding these retread O coordinator hires for a while here, so don't be too surprised. Yeah, I'm fully. I I'll say it now. I am fully on getting the Mark Helfrich train here. I am fully on board. I, he's the offensive coordinator of the Bears. Do you think he's gone? Do you think that entire staff is coming back after how abysmal the season has gone? Nagy's not going anywhere. Nagy might, but if if he wants to keep his job, he might have to fire everyone else. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, look, or at I'm, least, at least offensively. At least offensively. Give me Jim Moore Jr. Oh, not a- Clay Helton or Mark Elfrich. I will go all retreads. It's working with Mark Fox. Make it happen. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my. Oh goodness. man. All right, here we go. Uh, next one on the targeting. This is from Kevin on Twitter. On the targeting play when Brown got hit, did the right tackle miss his assignment? It looked like that defensive aim end came into the backfield untouched. You know, I've rewatched that play a bunch of times. Um, I haven't gotten the right angle to see like how the play was supposed to be developed. But either way, it's too fast. Yeah, it's too fast. It's hard to see. Either way, like, Rector went into the backfield untouched. I don't know whose assignment it was, but the shift came wrong, and he was in the backfield untouched. So, like, yeah, that that's that's all I can say about it. Unless you have some pretty, stuff on it. Pretty tough call. Um, on the targeting too, I think I I don't know what he as in Rector is supposed to really do other than just he could have gone for an arm tackle and not made the kind of like blow up play. But if you're gonna go for that type of play, um, I don't know like because he's tucking his head to try and get in his chest and Brown puts his head down and then it becomes you know like if he goes high, if he goes high he's going into helmet. If he goes low it's into the chest you know the only real way to do it is with your arms it's like a tough play i i just don't know like i i still think according to the letter of the rule it was targeting but i don't really know what the defensive player is supposed to do there other than just go for an arm tackle um, and maybe that's what they want i mean i'm sure that's what college football wants but it was a tough uh it was a wild play. It was very Jadavian Clowney esque. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest tackle to make, in my opinion. Like af- after watching such defensive football for Cal over the last three years, like and w- watching practice, honestly, I think the hardest tackle to make is when you're squared up with the ball carrier. 
like if you have a tackling angle and you're coming at him at an angle and like you're let's say you're both like running towards the sideline like that's an easier tackle to make because you can you can turn your shoulder and you're opening up your hips to do so but if you're straight on like shoulder to shoulder parallel with the guy like in what and you're only like let's say three feet three or four feet away from him like it in what space are you supposed to turn your shoulder like in and out in front of your head to make that tackle like it's it's in it's an incredibly fast bang bang play and you would need a crazy amount of body control to be able to like change up your body like as you're running full speed into the backfield and i i also don't think like to be totally totally honest like I think Rector was surprised that Brown was there right as he got into the backfield too. Like, and it was just like uh, I can't, I can't hold up how like heavy my body is. Like, I'm already, yeah. I'm, I'm a big mass that's already has momentum. Like, I can't stop myself into running into you, and it just, it just happened like that. That's my take, but I like that take. Um, then the next we got a couple from uh, Christian Otsuka on. Uh, on Twitter, why did we have so many design plays for Chase's coming off a design? I guess he's asking what, how many. Why did we have so many design run plays for Chase who's coming off an injury? That's the first one. You got any ideas for that one? <sighs> yeah, because if they're medically cleared, the assumption is they're medically cleared and therefore able to kind of sustain those hits. But I kind of I had the same reaction um, myself was. You know, we're trotting this guy out there. And you and I talked about this last week. It was like, give him a week to get the strength back and then just focus everything on the big game. Um, I I still think that was probably the right call. <laughs> yeah. uh, was giving him an additional week and then going into big game fully. Like, you know, hindsight being what it is now, it's like, oh my gosh, of course that was the right call. But... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's a, kind of the the problem with the offense in a way is, is how much it depends on the quarterback to run. And I just don't know if, like, you know, it, the amount of injuries we're seeing, if it's actually like an injury issue with us or, like, unlucky or if it's just a product of the fact that we put our quarterbacks out in a position to be hit more often than, you know, say, Oregon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're you're playing that gamble, right? Like, it's playing the numbers game where if you have a running quarterback, like you can put a little, you can get more leverage on the defense because you have an extra body that's that's a ball like a ball carrying threat, and when you're able to do that and you block properly up front, like it gives you an advantage. And so we haven't had that for the last couple of weeks, and then when Chase comes back, at least we know for sure that the dude can run out of the pocket and des- playing design runs for him, like we can get some significant yards out of that. The only issue is is I don't know how many of those were actually like RPOs, like true RPOs that we ran like with Devon last week um, versus how much was Chase just deciding to run. Um, I can't remember what the play was uh, on when he got injured, but at the very least, like he didn't injure his shoulder. So I guess in hindsight, like this wasn't, this wasn't like why would you put a guy who's still not like a hundred percent like healed out there? Like if this is what we're kind of thinking it is, which is a concussion, then it's a totally different injury from what he was injured from. Like, and he didn't in- re-injure the shoulder or injure another shoulder. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to the next question. 
They want to... Christian has three, so this is the second one. Is Can we ban the USC ban for disregarding the game day producers all night, especially during the Bryce Turner tribute? So, have you... You weren't at the game, so but have you read up on this and what this whole yeah, yeah, situation yeah. But you, is? But you for sure take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, aware. Yeah, I think... I don't know if you can ban the band uh, per se because the band is going off of what the band director is doing, right? And you're a college student who's in a band like this. And if you've been in a band or on a team, regardless, like you're in full trust of the director or the coach or whoever it is to be in control and to be in full understanding of what is going on in your surroundings. So like if you're told to play, like you're just naturally going to play without without thinking, um, and that's what I think the band did. The, I think there was some miscommunication between Cal Athletics and the ba- and the SC band side of things. Um, but at the same time, like his his family was shown up on the screen, like everyone was clapping, like standing up. Like if you just took a second to just survey your surroundings, regardless of if they like, regardless of if they heard like the bench or the mic men or anyone like telling them to stop playing like let's just say you didn't hear any of that like if you just had taken a split second to look to your left or right and seen all these people standing up like with an ovation look up at any of the two screens at any of the end zones and you see like this just a family right not even players like all of the seniors were already um honored before the game started and you see a family out there like just any normal human being would be like huh like why would there be a family standing on the field and being clapped for right like it you just kind of have to pause yourself and like dude like you could you could easily just not play you know during one little segment like it's not like the t-shirt toss if it's like the t-shirt toss like go ahead and play as much as you want like i i could care less uh but this was just a terrible, terrible view of and like understanding of your environment. I've seen a bunch of SC band alumni come out and be like, "This is not us." Like, you know, um, like we're extremely sorry, blah blah blah. Uh, and it's it's been nice to see. And I've I've actually seen that they a bunch of the alumni has donated to the Bryce Turner um, fund as well, which is definitely r- really good to see. Uh, but yeah, this is not. This one's not gonna uh, be removed from a lot of Cal fans' memory for quite some time. And you know, I saw the the written um, apology that he issued with the LA Times, who's the the SC band director. But you know, he kind of deflected a little bit, in my opinion. He didn't take full responsibility for it. He was kind of like, "Oh, there was some some miscommunication, and we played um, at at fault," you know. And I'm like, I read that and I was like, like, you could have worded better, better, dude. Like, you, you could have just fully taken it on. Just like, it's my fault. Like, just man up and just been like, you could have covered for your students and all those band members as well. And just been like, it's my fault. Like, I had no, I had no, like, understanding of what was going on. And I just wanted to, we just wanted to play more music uh, for our team and get them pumped up. And, you know, totally my fault. But kind of deflected it and was like, oh, there was some miscommunication between, you know, the, the, the the game day staff and all that like come on dude like just just shoulder the responsibility um but i don't think you can ban the band uh, but yeah there there are definitely steps that need to be taken here but, yeah i think you nailed it 
I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of bands. Um, nor am I a huge fan of the USC band. <laughs> so, I. It's kind of part of the fun for them to come in and play that stupid song 105 times every time we play. And I can totally understand why other fans are just like had enough and don't think they contribute positively to the environment and don't want them to come. So whatever outcome it is, I'll still be booing them and waving dollar bills their direction. So, <laughs> All right, next one. Um, Cal Kangila on Kangila, Kangila, Kangila on Twitter asks, who are the injured players do you expect to play in the big game? Out of the injured players? I don't... Anybody's guess. Yeah, it's anybody's game. I mean, we didn't know Chase was starting until, what, Friday night? So, you know, we really don't know. <laughs> we really don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, there's just there's just no way of knowing. It's a good question. All these have been, by the way, great questions. Yeah. Um, I just... I have no, I have no idea. idea. Yeah, like, I have no idea. Was that hopefully Kakoa Crawford plays? If you can glean something from the the post game co- or the, like the week weekly press conferences that I can't, like please let me know. Because I mean, we cannot for the life of us figure out who's playing and who's not based on what the coaches are saying. If you have cracked the Wilcox code, yeah. holla at your boys. It's a freaking enigma, man. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> All right, uh, we got one from Tony Macaroni. How relieved are you that we won't have to wonder what would have happened for the first time in program history if we'd swept the California rivals and yet somehow not gone to the Rose Bowl? Uh, <laughs> that's such a good question. Yeah. Am I relieved? <laughs> are you relieved? I'm no. no. No, 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 no. No. No, if we don't get to the Rose Bowl, but we, def- we, have, we had defeated all three California schools, I would say the season was a success. I think everyone would have been on cloud yep. nine. I mean, we would have had a shot at cloud nine wins. Yep. Um, that cloud has like rained out, disappeared, evaporated, vaporized, like whatever word you can think of. <laughs> the cloud is now gone. It was there. It was there for the taking and we refused to take it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I probably would have taken the sweep over the California schools. Just get the ax back, man. That's Just get the ax back back i swear if every single player on our team is not up for this football game and we like there is a job on the line here if we come out and we get beat by stanford the way we just lost to sc wilcox timeline is drastically different so uh yeah this game matters and everything we have should be thrown to win the big game yep um that's pretty much it. So I think uh, we can talk about the big game for a little bit. Are you are you excited here for traveling down to the farm again? Man, I am juiced. I can't wait to get back down there. I'm super excited to debut the jersey. Um, number 17 gold? The, no, it's the blue. Oh, the blue. The blue. Sorry, the blue. I went blue, blue this time. Yeah, so I'm super excited to debut the jersey. I really think Cal's has an amazing shot here to win this football game and do so in a convincing manner. I don't expect a lot of Stanford fans to show up, so I think we can kind of bring the noise at the field. Like, hopefully we travel really well to this, but God, man, I want this streak to end. I do not want to go into 2020 with this streak still being a thing. We need to get this win over Stanford. We need to start winning these recruiting battles, and we need to send... The entire Stanford program down the 
terrible direction they're heading and not do anything to prevent them from going that way. Yeah, I'm all for Stanford reverting back to like what they were in the 2000s, <laughs> like when we were in college, like just like before Harbaugh, like the, the, the starts of Harbaugh and like the right before Harbaugh of uh, those were the fun times. <laughs> Those are just the auto wins yeah. that we've been for them for the last 10 yeah. years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about this game. Like this is this is the how many times have I been to the farm? Uh not that often. I think this is like either my fourth or fifth time. Um but man, I just I just want to come out of there with a win. Like it's not a good feeling like coming out of there with losses and having that travel to that godforsaken land and then having to travel out of that godforsaken land like do you remember how long it took for us to get out of the parking lot two years ago like <laughs> after that game it took us it took like an it hour took us forever just to get out of yeah. just to get out of the parking lot my goodness so yeah i'm hoping uh that we have more fun um i know nam already has uh bought tickets with avi in a location where they're able to jump the <laughs> the wall onto the field uh like just in a very very prime location because nam wants to be the nam wants someone to take a picture of him being the first one to run out on the field after we win the axe back um so he's at that point are you at that point like are you are you getting are you thinking of like your game plan of like when am i gonna jump onto the field where am i heading am i heading towards the 50 yard line am i heading towards the cow bench like what 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 is your route to like as soon as the clock runs out and we have won the game i will be elated slow to move in any direction (laughs) (laughs) and i'll probably be one of the last people to jump on the field but you will jump on the field i mean assuming nam doesn't get arrested (laughs) which has got to be up there in the realm of possibility um yeah, I think you meet at the 50, right? Let's take the flag, let's plant the flag, and never lose again. Are we going to do the Baker Mayfield thing? <laughs> are we going to plant the flag in the middle of that big big old red S at the 50-yard line? Fun fact, my buddy uh, brought a J onto the field in 09 when we won against Stanford and smoked a J in the middle of the field. <laughs> that is impressive. Wow. <laughs> Oh, so good. So, so good. I I can't make it up. Uh, But, yeah, we're hoping for that win. We're really hoping for that win on Saturday. Um, I think that's it for us on the BearCast. Actually, there is one more question. Uh, There is. Let me pull it up. It's uh, Where are we tailgating? Yeah, where are we tailgating? Uh, There is a CGB tailgate somewhere. Uh, just DM myself or the CGB Bearcast uh, Twitter handle, which we'll uh, talk about in a little second. But the last question here, basketball, ceiling, ceiling and floor for the Cal men's basketball this year. Have you watched any Cal men's basketball games so far this season? Uh, yes. yes. Two? Two. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Um, I, I want your take because you're like, the, you're like the, the person that's outside of like the, the you know, constantly watching them constantly covering them in your eyes looking at this what is is this what's the ceiling and what's the floor from what you've seen <laughs> god 
let's preface this one with the fact that I have no idea what I'm talking about. So, uh, I don't know. I think we'll probably, like, I think... Like, where do you think... Where in the Pac-12 do you think we finished this year? We were... Our preseason prediction... Our preseason by the media was 12. 12. I think 10th, maybe. Like, something like that, maybe. I don't know. They could be better than that. Dude, I think... I don't know. Like, the most recent game was not encouraging. But, um... We seem to be well coached. We seem to be developing the right way. We have talent. I could see this team being 500 in Pac-12 play. I think that would be a huge win. Um, wow, 500 in Pac-12 play. That's 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 lofty goals. That's lofty, yeah. right? Yeah, that's what I thought. But see, that's the thing. I don't know anything, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's set that as maybe like the ceiling. And yeah, I mean, if you're 500 in Pac-12 play and you had a good start to the season, you're arguably making the tournament, right? So. Yeah. Um, it's that's probably not going to happen, but I think I think you said this before. Something like seeing Cal make it to the NIT. That's sort of where I, I would set the expectation at. Uh, but the team is in such a good spot compared to where they were under Viking. I mean, it's just so much better, and I'm so happy we got rid of Viking, and I'm so happy we have Mark Fox and all those people who were super upset about the so and so called retread hire. I think you know, getting a coach that had a lot of experience and uh, worked really well with this team and uh getting someone who you would have been a you know more of a project or a wait time i i don't know if that patience existed i think it was a good hire i'm really excited about where the program is trending towards and i think we're bound to be disappointed just like we were in football but that is sort of the life that i've signed up for what about you rob but you're like you are the expert so Uh, i mean i'll go by placing it. i think the ceiling for this team is probably what finishing sixth or seventh in the Pac-12. I think the floor at this point is exactly what you said. I think the floor is now at, at 10. I don't think I, I don't think we have, like, we don't have lower than 10, 10th place type of talent. Um, I don't know who the teams under us would be. I think Washington State probably is one of them. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just one of those where the team is starting to get better. Like, I, I tweeted this out. Like, as much as we love what Fox has done with these guys and how well they're playing, like, at, that means at the same time we have to give credit to the previous staff for bringing in such good, decently good talent. Um, like Matt Bradley was a Viking Jones recruit. Jacoby Gordon was a Viking Jones recruit. Paris Austin was a Viking Jones recruit. Grant Antisevich was a Viking Jones recruit. Like there are guys that are on this team that are starting to blossom, and you know the previous guys brought them in. Granted, is the new staff the ones that are cultivating that talent? Probably, and I think that's a like a ninety nine percent yes. But, um, yeah, credit to them building our roster with a few four-stars sprinkled in there to, to give us a competitive edge in in games with some other teams. And you're seeing that with our first four games. Like, that Prairie View A&M game was not pretty. But ultimately, at the end, we had enough talent to, to eke it out. And, you know, that's pretty much what it's going to be like. We're going to be in some games that we're not supposed to be in, but we're going to be very close in games that we should have handedly won. So that's pretty much, I think, how the the season is going to go. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, whenever you're listening to this, just know we're playing Duke, the number one team in the country tonight. So that's that's big time, big time. And then we either play the winner or loser of the Georgetown-Texas game. So that's right there. That's right there. This is a good test for uh, where we're going to go. I, I severely doubt we're going to win. Ken Palm puts us at a 5% win percentage. 
Bears in four. <laughs> but I did tweet that out. Did you see that? Bears one by four against Prairie for you, A&M. The Bears are 4 no, which means the Bears in four. Bears in four. Better times. Better times ahead, folks. Bears in four quarters against Stanford. Let's do this thing. Let's get the axe back. Rob, we have never gotten the axe since we have been on this podcast. Yep. (laughs) We haven't. Buddy, we haven't gotten the axe back since we were in college. (laughs) That's That's the crazier way of looking at it. Send it home. Send it home. Bring it home. Bring it home. home. I need to get a photo of Andy crying, like touching the axe at midfield on the farm. I have a photo of me in that. I'm sure you do. I think I do. I think I have one too somewhere. Um, But yeah, that's it. Um, You can find us at CGB Bearcast on Twitter. Find me at Rob11HWANG on Twitter. You can find Andy at AndyJBeastMode. And then you can find all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. Uh, I do have. I was a guest on a Duke podcast the other day, and you can find that um, somewhere on the CGB mentions. Uh, and then we have all our big game stuff that's all on the website. Christopher H. I don't know Andy if you've read it. The offensive preview that came up today, absolutely beautiful, beautiful work by Christopher. He's got another one uh, coming up tomorrow with the. He's taking over the defensive preview for this week, so he's got that going. And uh, that's pretty much it. No other housekeeping news. Um, and we'll see you at the 50. See you at the 50 on the farm. See you Saturday. See you, Saturday. See you at the 50. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears.